Good morning. It's nice to be back. I learned a few things from being gone. I learned uh, that our live audio music was not very mixed very well, and so we got that taken care of as I was sending about a thousand text messages sitting at home saying, can you turn the bass up? Can you turn the cello up? Brandon needs to go down. Uh, And so we got that worked out, so the next time you're at home sick and you want to listen live to our service, the music will be much better for you. I learned that... uh, that I'm not really needed at this church, which is good. My great-grandfather used to say, uh, if a church needs their pastor too bad, if a church will go away, if their pastor goes away, then they have a problem on their hands. And uh, I'm telling you, a couple years ago, uh, when this thing kind of, when I started here and, and we were trying to make some changes, I, I couldn't be on vacation without like a thousand text messages. And, and last week it was like, I just wish somebody would text me and ask me what to do, you know. Um, uh, but it didn't happen. And then I learned that uh, we, are, we are ready to grow. Uh, and uh, on Sunday mornings, uh, I mean, we were able to accommodate more people. Um, not, not double at all. They're a smaller church than us, but, but about a third more people. Uh, and we had no problem doing it, and like my dad said, uh, I'm there on Saturday on Vicodin trying to make phone calls. Uh, Vic, what do you think about this? Brandon, can we do this? Is the band going to be too nervous? Angela, do we have enough bulletins? And they, it was like, yeah, fine, just have them come over, no big deal. And so uh, I learned that we are ready to accommodate growth, which is a pretty a pretty good feeling. It's nice to be back. I was excited to be here today. Uh, 8 a.m. comes and everybody's here and they're not as excited because they haven't been kind of off for two weeks. I was off mentally one week and then physically last week. Uh, and, uh, and I was just super excited and they're thinking, wow, Chad, you're annoying. But it was, it's really good. It's really good to be here today. Um, we're going to finish this morning a, a sermon series on greed and we're going to miss one of the sermons in the series and we'll do that next July. I'm we're piling on in July, uh, but we'll do it later because uh, there is more to say, which is always a good thing in a sermon series. If you're like, get into the last week and you're like, I, I don't really have anything to say, but I guess I'll get up there and pretend I really care about this issue. But there, there are more things that I want to say, even in my personal Bible reading this week, as, as I was reading through uh, the Gospel of Luke, another passage kind of came and it was like, wow, how did I not see that in my preparation for this series? And the Bible has a lot to say about money and it's a bigger deal than just give more of it to your church. It has real spiritual implications. Uh, Greed is, in fact, one of the seven deadly sins. If you've missed the first two sermons in this series, you can listen to them. Go to our website, uh, forward slash broken greedy. And I I think if you're like me and you haven't heard the series so far, it's really important because I've been finding in my financial life, uh, and I think that I have done pretty good, and Brent and I do pretty good about caring about God, but just when I'm purchasing things, this series so far has, in the first two weeks, weeks and what I've taught and really what God has impressed upon me has challenged me and it's, it's really made me think differently. Um, I want to point out one more time before we launch into this last sermon that this series has not come from a place of need. Our church is doing pretty well financially. We could always use more dollars, but when I compare to the numbers I see of other churches, we're in a pretty good place. Uh, we ran a, a, a 
actually last month, uh, and I didn't know this until halfway through the week. I might have been on Vicodin when I heard this, so hopefully it's all right, but uh, hopefully it's true. But, but last month was actually a really good financial month for us. Uh, I want to make clear again that I don't get a raise from this sermon series, uh, that I actually feel very comfortable with what this church pays me. I think it's very fair. I think it's, uh, it's nice. I've turned down raises. Uh, I'm, I'm not a money-driven person, even if you think every pastor is just money-driven, and I've said before, and I'll say again, uh, then you think very incorrectly about pastors because most pastors aren't stupid enough to do what they do for the money that they do it for uh, and the education that it requires. And so it's none of those things. It's because we uh, have done for two years, and this is our third year, a series on one of the seven deadly sins. I thought a couple years ago it would be awesome to kind of take it on as a challenge, and greed is one of those. And so it's the third in kind of a super series that happens every Year. And here's the thing. So far, I've, uh, the first two weeks, it's like, these have been good things for me that I've learned. Uh, that, that God cares about how I spend money. That greed is putting God over uh, or underneath your possessions and, and, and having more stuff and spending money your way instead of focusing on God. And as I think about it, and I try to make changes in my life, which I do try to do based on what I learn in my sermon series. I don't just try to preach it and then move on and hope everybody else lives it out. But I try to make these changes. And, and, and here's kind of the difficult thing for me. Is it really that big of deal? I mean, there are not these great consequences in the things we've talked about, spending money for God, uh, how it's a sin and how God doesn't like it and how it can interrupt our relationship with God and lead to other bad things. But like if I go somewhere to a store and I make a purchase that, that I know somewhere inside of me God doesn't really want me to make, I'm spending the money on something that I could instead of something else I could be spending my money on or I'm not giving money to my church or I'm not providing for the widows and the orphans in the world but I'm buying all this stuff. I mean, in the short term, there's no big consequence for my life, at least it's tangible. I mean, maybe God is in heaven and he's upset with me and there's some type of disconnect that's created between me and God because I spend money incorrectly. But like, it's not that big a deal. This is a new shirt. You like it? It's not that big a deal if I buy a Goodwill's Finest, actually. Um, I was at Goodwill to buy something for this sermon, oddly, and then I spent money on myself. Um, uh, and you'll understand in a second. Uh, my wife talked me into it. She'll verify that. I didn't want to get it, but she thought I looked super good. And when your wife thinks you look super good, you buy things. Uh, but it's like, is it that big a deal? if I spent the money on this shirt instead of, you know, like taking somebody out to lunch that I felt God wanted me to take out to lunch. And, and the reality is, and I know this is a huge reality, and I, I try to sell you on, on how big a deal things are. When, when they're big deals, I don't make things up. But, but we have a tough time as human beings making changes in our lives until the consequences, until the weight, the bigness of something is made clear to us. I mean, you think about your health. You really don't do a very good job most of the time making a change until a doctor looks at you and says like, hey, you might die if you keep living like this. You might have a problem if you keep going this way. I remember when my grandpa Jim, uh, my biological grandpa, my dad and uncle's dad that you guys know here, uh, I remember when he was in 
the hospital for his first stroke, and strokes are what eventually killed him. And uh, and, and the doctor was saying, you know, it's, it's the cheeseburgers that, that leads to this. And we said, well, like, you know, if you would have made a change, what would the difference have been? And she said, well, no, it's, it's like the cheeseburgers when you're 20 years old uh, that, that have caused this problem. He was a pretty healthy guy for most of his life as far as how he ate. And it was, it, it's interesting thinking about that because we, when we're 20 years old, we just eat what we want because there's no consequence. We don't see 60 years down the line and say, well, this, this might cause a problem for me because it's not... A immediate it's not in our face we don't feel the weight of it I mean you think about addictions that people have and you hear this said a lot like well they have to hit rock bottom they really have to feel the weight of their consequence we have to feel the weight of our consequences before we start to to make changes because when it doesn't seem like there's any tangible short-term consequence we just kind of keep doing the same things that we're doing it seems like this is one way I've noticed this truth to be just everywhere. It's like when a person has a child or a grandchild, then their behavior is often altered in a good way. You can see people that have had children and they're not living a very good life. They're just kind of living for themselves. They're selfish and all of a sudden they have a baby and it's like they flip this switch because they see that, that these consequences in their lives, these things they're doing are gonna have a consequence for the child that they have that they have received into their lives. When you feel the weight of your consequence, then all of a sudden it changes how you live. And I think with money, especially if we don't have a lot of it, if we're broke and greedy, we can't feel, we can't see why it's such a big deal if we just kind of spend money the way that we've always spent money, the way that we want to spend money. It's easy for us to point out like rich people, right? Like in the world of sports, we look at a basketball player who says things like, well, I just needed to take care of my family. That's why I had to hold out for that extra 20 million. And you go, you greedy jerk like come on like that's not real and you can see like and you think like well if he just would donate that 20 million to you know an orphanage or to help feed people then the world would be different and you can see the consequence on a magnified scale but in your life it's really difficult to see because you don't have as much and you don't see how your money can make quite the difference that somebody with 20 million dollars has we fail to see the weight of how we think about our discretionary $100, even when it's really easy to see the weight of how $100 million in somebody's discretionary account might be spent. And, and here's what we're gonna look at today. In Colossians 3, 1 through 12, we see, we see that for Christian people, there is a great weight, there's a great weight, a great consequence to not putting God over and above our possessions, to not thinking about God first when we decide how we're going to spend our money. Here's what Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. It says raised with, and you see similar language in the preceding chapter, and, and let's just get down to the bottom of this. I mean, what we believe as Christians is that when we become Christians, 
you're not a Christian. This is what we believe about our own faith. When we become Christians, it is as if our lives die with Jesus on the cross and then are raised again, and we have this new life. You may have heard this term, born again. We talk about being born again Christians, and it's because we believe that when we become Christians, there is some type of real spiritual change that occurs where we become something else. We become, as the Bible refers to it, a new creation in Christ. And so Paul begins this chapter by saying, hey, look, remember this, that you have been raised with Jesus. You died to your own life and you have been raised again with Jesus in his resurrection. The whole language here, spiritually speaking, is all about how we are, if we are Christian people, tied up in the life that Jesus now has. You see, I think we think about this wrong. I think oftentimes, even as Christian people, we think like, I become a Christian, I'm saved, and someday I'll be in the presence of God when I get into heaven. And someday this will have a great benefit for my life. But, but the reality is, and what Paul needs us to know, this is like the foundation for what he's about to say. The foundation is that when we become Christians, our entire lives are wrapped up in the fact that Jesus died and then rose again. It's why when we baptize people as Christians, we dunk them underwater, symbolizing their death, and then we bring them back out of the water. We've done that every time so far anyway, in order to symbolize that they have been raised again. We believe as Christian people that it isn't just like, yeah, I prayed some prayer when I was a child and that's it. We believe that as Christians, we are totally and utterly wrapped up in Jesus and the life that he has because he conquered sin and death by dying on a cross and then getting out of the grave. You see, this is Paul's foundation. That when you think of your life as a Christian, you can't think like, well, I am a Christian and I have my life. I have my Christian life and I have the regular life. I have church and I have everything else. Sometimes I act like a Christian, but there's these other areas of my life that, you know, it's different. What Paul is saying is that your whole entire life, this new life, is completely and utterly wrapped up in Jesus. Now, I'm going to tell you, just because this is foundational for something Paul's going to say about greed in a second, it's foundational, and if you don't understand this, if you don't believe this, if you don't think like this, then you're never going to conquer greed or any of the seven deadly sins, and most of my sermons will never matter to you because you'll go, ah, well, that sounded like a good idea, but who really cares? But when you begin to say, well, look, 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 I died, this is what it says, I died, and now my life is hidden. It's hidden. It's totally wrapped up, and I can't even see my own life because it's so connected to that life uh, of Jesus, the life of Jesus. That's when we can begin to live the way that Christians are to live. You see, in the book of Colossians, and this isn't the case for every book of the Bible, but in the book of Colossians, the resurrection of Christians is seen, is seen as a past tense event. That's not to say that Colossians and Paul, when he writes Colossians, doesn't believe that someday we will be resurrected in a new way and have a new body and go into heaven and have eternal life. But it is to say that when Paul writes the book of Colossians, he's saying, look, something already has transpired in your life. You're not going to get a new life someday. It's not like you have a new life to look forward to. You have a new life, and that life is totally wrapped up in Jesus. And he says, because of that, set your hearts on things above 
where Christ is. Notice the language. Sometimes when we read this is a famous this is a famous Christian verse. Sometimes when you read it, you read it as set your hearts on things above, comma, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. But really the language suggests that we're supposed to read it this way, set your hearts on things above where Christ is. And then seated at the right hand of God. The point is you need to set your heart on where Jesus is because your life is already wrapped up in his. And so your your will, your thinking, your desires, your passions, your goals, the vision of your life should be centered on the fact that Jesus is in heaven and someday you will be there too. Philippians 1.21, the same Paul writing to a different church says, for me to live is Christ. My life is for Jesus if I am a Christian person. In Philippians 3.20, we read this, but our citizenship, talking about Christians, is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2.11 and 12 emphasizes this further. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives that the pagans, among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. Paul and Peter are saying, look, when you become a Christian, your life is so wrapped up in Jesus who is now in heaven that you should think of yourself as a foreigner on this earth. You are an alien here. You don't belong here. And you need to continue to live for the kingdom that you have. Christians oftentimes are like opposite of this. They're like spies, not that we're out here spying, but we're like spies sent to another land, but we lose our focus totally. And we're like, well, I'm just gonna live for this land. When our king is saying, look, you are to live for me. One author said this, their interests, speaking of Christians, are to be centered on Christ, their minds, aims, ambitions. In fact, their whole outlook are to be centered on the heavenly realm where he reigns and where their lives and where their lives truly belong. The continuous ongoing effort required for such a cast of mind does not come automatically. That realm above is to be sought diligently, for this is where Christ is, seated as king in the place of honor. The foundation for Paul, for the Christian life in general, is that we have been wrapped up in Jesus and now we live as foreigners and aliens on this earth and our job is not to make this earth our home but rather to remember our home and do our best to make our lives centered around the fact that someday we will be there again with Jesus. He continues in Colossians 3, 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Put to death is really just an emphatic way of saying to stop doing something. But not just like, you know, how we can stop something, but we don't really mean it. I give up eating sugar. Bryn actually keeps a note on her phone for how many times I've stopped eating processed sugar. It's like a, a, a not daily quite, but like every other day, I'm like, I am never eating processed sugar again. I say that, but I don't mean it. And so Paul isn't saying like, stop doing something in that sense. Like, yeah, I should stop doing that, you know. He's saying like, kill it off. 
Make these things stop. Whatever belongs to the earthly nature. Now, Paul, when he says earthly nature, sometimes when he talks about the earth, it's just kind of middle ground. The earth is the earth. We live here, whatever. But sometimes he uses it in opposition to the new life that we have in Christ and the morality, (coughs) excuse me, that we should live out because our lives are wrapped up in the life of Jesus. And that's how he uses it here, for things that are contrary to the nature that we take on when we are born again, when we become a new nature, a new creation in Christ. Paul is saying that these things are contrary to living the life that glorifies God, that pleases the king of our true homeland. And we know some of them, and some of them we really focus on. I mean, like, especially if you're like, I don't, if you're a church person, you know this. If you're not a church person, then, then maybe this is news to you, or maybe you, you don't like us for this. But we really focus, like, on sexual immorality. Like, when somebody is sexually immoral, we don't like it. Uh, you know, we pick at it. We are very upset about it. We talk about some people's sexual immorality, the immorality of homosexuality on our news feed. Like, they're not even people. Like, well, that's just, they're wretched homosexuals like it's not but but then I mean like impurity we don't like that we don't really care about that because it's not like something we can tangibly hold on to lust I mean we talk about that a lot right I mean so many people men in churches like feel like they're doing something that's a way worse sin than any other sin because because lust is something that we talk about and it's bad pornography is bad but it, it's something that we, I mean, it is something that we really hold on to but greed it's probably your first sermon if you're new today and probably your first three sermons on greed that you've ever heard in your life in church it's like we got this list and there's a lot of sin lists in the new testament and but greed i mean if we don't let people be a little bit greedy it's going to be hard to pay to rent this space every week i mean you know what i'm it's like and if i don't let you people be a little bit greedy then i'm not going to get my salary you know and where's the money going to come from and and i want to be a little greedy and so how can i preach a sermon on it because i like my new shirt and you know i like i mean greed it's not a big deal i mean yeah obviously sexual immorality and impurity and lust and evil desires that's just evil right but not greed well here's here's the this is just nuts paul makes this list and he emphasizes only one of these through the greek language and it's greed he wants us to be drawn to greed in this passage he wants us to think about greed more than these other things in this passage. There's other passages where you can talk about these other things, but in this passage, to the people in Colossae, he wants them to think about greed. There's several ways that we know this. He adds the word and, which is not as common in Greek as it is in English at the end of the sentence. He could have just said greed. We have and in there, but he adds the word and. He adds a a definitive article, which means nothing to you. It's, it's kind of like the in English, but you don't always have to put the word the there. It's just a way to like show that some, it's sometimes it's a way to show that something is more important. Sometimes it translates into the. And then he adds, and this is huge. I mean, you already hopefully recognize this, which is idolatry. It's a big deal. Because I don't know about you, but I would never like get a little statue and worship it. 
okay, I have a little statue now, and that's my God, and that's the original usage of the word idolatry. I would never do that. That's pretty far from, you know, just being an American a lot of times. Uh, uh, there are a lot of religions in America, but I mean, just kind of our heritage is kind of a funny thing for most Anglo-Saxon Americans. And, and beyond that, as a Christian, I would just never think about worshiping some statue, and I kind of think it's just dumb, to be honest, and I hope that doesn't offend people. Um, people that worship idols probably aren't listening to my sermon anyway, but uh, but I, I, I just like, it's a stone, you know, and I would never do that, but, but Paul associates greed, which we have defined, and I'll continue it as this, putting your possessions over God. We've said that that can come in a lot of forms. It can come in not giving money where God wants you to give money. It can come in saving when God has asked you to spend on something. It can come in um, perhaps not saving when God has asked you to save. It can come as we don't do the things that God has commanded us to do. It can come as we disobey God to have more money so that we can purchase more possessions. Greed comes in a wide variety of ways into our lives, but it can be summed up in just saying, I want stuff more than I want to please God. And Paul says that this thing is idolatry. Another author said, in the catalogs of vices, covetousness is the mark of a life which lacks the knowledge of God. Greed is stressed because it is closely related to us having false gods. When we purchase things that God doesn't want us to purchase, it is in essence us saying, I care more about this, this thing made by human hands, than I care about the creator. It's interesting because in Jewish circles, uh, the two stood together. Um, They were connected and they were condemned as part of the horrors of paganism. I mean, Jewish people looked at at greed as, as something that people apart from God, people who had no knowledge of God, people who didn't love God or care about God or worshiped weird gods to them, uh, that's how the Jewish people saw others who didn't know the true God of the universe. E. Schweitzer said, when man has lost God, he's at the mercy of all things because his own covetousness takes the place of God. The reality is, when we care more about our possessions than we do about God, we are committing idolatry. When you don't think about how God would have you spend money, you are committing idolatry. When you do wrong things to obtain more money, you are committing idolatry. When you don't use your money in the way that God has called you to use your money, then you are committing idolatry. You see, part of the weight of this thing called greed and really asking God, how do you want me to spend my money, is that when we don't, we are saying, God, I care more about this shirt or this iPad or this computer than I do about my relationship with you. I care more about the created than I do about the creator. He continues. This is just a crazy statement. Because of these The wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. I mean, I mean, you can just go right now, you can Google about why the wrath of God is gonna come on America. 
and you're going to find a lot of people talking about our sexual immorality, you are. It's going to happen like crazy. You're going to find a lot of people talking about abortion. You are not going to find a lot of people talking about greed. A lot of those people are probably making pretty good money. But one of the things that Paul says the wrath of God is coming for is greed. Now here's, we believe, this is what we believe as Christians, that, that we are all sinners and we're all gonna commit greed and we're all gonna have sexual morality in some sort in our life and we're gonna have evil lusts and we're gonna do wrong things and that the wrath of God is deserved for all of that. But we also believe that Jesus came to die and he rose again so that if our lives are wrapped up in him, then we receive forgiveness because he paid the penalty for our sins, even including greed on the cross. And so Paul is not saying like, if you're still greedy, as a Christian, then sorry, wrath of God, you're done. What he is saying is that before you knew Jesus, this is how you lived your life. You lived your life to buy the things you wanted, to get the stuff that you felt good about, to have all the possessions that you could possibly have so that you look good to everybody else and you felt good. But the obvious implication is what he says in 8 through 11. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things. And then he includes another list, says anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. He says, look, you used to be like this. You used to decide how you spent your money based on what you wanted. But now there's a new way. You've become something different if you've become a Christian and you need to rid yourselves of things such as these. It's literally a way to say get rid of your old clothing. We are to get rid of, burn, give to goodwill, get rid of, the things that belong to our old nature but are contrary to our new nature, including, but not limited to, spending money so that we can have more and only so that we can have more. Here's the thing. We are, as Christians, we are supposed to be being made more like Christ. Listen to Ephesians 4, 20 through 24. That, however, is not the way of life you have learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We are to take off what is contrary to our new nature. Partly because it is there because of our deceitful desires. And money does this to us in a way that nothing else does. I mean, we so often, we think like, oh man, if I just had this, then I would be more satisfied. If I just, if I just could get in this much money or be able to buy this thing or got this financially secure, then my life, then, then it would just be better. And so we do things that are contrary to the will of God. Well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna worry about 
the widows and the orphans in the world because I need to get to this financial state in order to be happy. Or God, I know that you're telling me to take that person out to lunch, but then I'm not going to be able to go do that thing that I really want to do. Sorry, God, because that thing is going to make me really happy. That's what I desire. And Paul would have you know what you ought to desire. And as Christians, the only thing that's really going to satisfy you is a growing, healthy relationship with God where our our knowledge, or to use a word that I used in the first sermon, our wisdom, understanding of his will and his ways and how to live that out in our lives is growing and increasing as we become more like Jesus. You see, greed and all these possessions, they lie to us. They lie to us and they say, if you have me, then you will be satisfied. And we buy in. But the only true satisfaction is going to come from a good, right, healthy, growing relationship with the God of the universe. Some of the most satisfied people I know are people with very little because they have learned that stuff is less important than God. They have learned to put away the idolatry that is greed. Philippians 1, 9 and 10, and this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. It should be our goal not to have more stuff, but to understand more fully what God wants from us and how he wants us to spend our money. Now here's, here's the importance. The importance of, of greed, the, the weight of it, is that two things. First, if you're not a Christian... You need to understand that probably one of the reasons you're not is because greed. You think that if you become a Christian, we're just going to want your money and you're not going to be as satisfied because right now you're living for all this other stuff and if Jesus gets in the way, then you might not be able to live for all this stuff and you've seen these radical Christians and you think that all this stuff is going to satisfy you and it's preventing you from having a relationship with God that will actually satisfy you. I mean, think about how long the last piece of technology really made you feel good. You might get a year out of something, and then there's something newer and better, and you're like, well, this is no good anymore. We get bored in like five seconds, man, in our current culture. We buy something, and then we're just bored with it, and we want the next thing. It will never satisfy you, but God will satisfy you. But for Christians, it's important because it's one of the pieces of clothing that we are to take off, that we are to no longer have, that we are to rid ourselves of. Uh, listen to Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Just, it, it continues. It's just after. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together. In perfect unity. You see, we are to dress differently as Christians. We are not to have the same morality or the same lifestyle as people who don't know Jesus. And one of the things that stands in the way of us doing that is us carrying around, wearing this thing called greed. God said it needs to be different through the Apostle Paul. This is what I liken it to and what I'm about to do, I can't believe I'm about to do. I'm gonna take my shirt off, but I I have a shirt under just so you know ahead of time you don't think we're gonna be immodest. Uh, I'm a big time Blazer fan and you know that. And um, 
as a Blazer fan, I wear Blazer clothing. And it, when you're a fan of a team, when you're wrapped up in a team, if you will, which I am pretty wrapped up in the Blazers, try not to be too much, try not to make it an idol. I saw tickets the other day that I really wanted and didn't buy them, I'll have you know. Um, and it would be funny for me not to dress like a Blazer fan like this mess up the microphone when I do this. Bryn said girls take their sweatshirts off by putting their arms in first. I was practicing this earlier today. This is not how men take their sweatshirts off normally. We just rip them right off our heads. But, yeah, I actually had trouble wearing this at Goodwill when I found it, and it makes me a little sick, and I need everybody to put their cameras away because this isn't working. But if I got up on the stage... I wanted a Laker one, but they're hard to find around here, I guess. It would have made my point better because they are the enemy, uh, and they are the evil desire of basketball. But it feels, it actually, and this is serious. I'm being totally serious. It feels weird to have it on. Like, I look down. It's funny. It's like the worst player in the whole NBA, um, and not worst talent-wise, but as far as people that I would ever want on our team. I, and, and it feels super awkward it's very weird. It's unbecoming of a Blazer fan. There's this guy that actually walks around Wilsonville. You may have seen him before. And he only wears Denver Bronco clothing. Only. I've, I've actually never seen this guy in anything besides Denver Bronco clothing from his pants to his shirt to his hat. Never in anything else. And I would find it super odd if I walked up to him and said, are you a Bronco fan? And he said, no, Chargers, man. Right? I mean, that would be weird. You'd be like, what happened here? Was there a sale? Or, I mean, and this right here is what we do with greed. We go, yeah, I mean, I'm a Christian. I'm on Jesus' side. But I'm going to wear the clothes of the enemy. I'm going to wear the clothes that I used to wear before I was a Christian. I'm going to dress the same. My morality is going to be similar. I'll spend my money exactly the same way that I've always spent my money, even though I have been wrapped up in Jesus, that my life has become part of his life. You see, we, we think, for whatever reason, that it's not, like, weird if we just spend our money like everybody else in the world while saying, yeah, I'm totally and utterly a follower of Jesus but look at this jersey I have on, the jersey of greed. What Paul is saying is that when you become a Christian, your life is wrapped up in, in Jesus, totally and utterly wrapped up. You are a new creation on a new team with new morality and new vision and a new goal for your life. Then what takes place is you need to switch your clothing. You need to change that morality. You need to leave to live differently, and one of the ways you need to live differently is the way in which you spend your money. It needs to be different. And you can ask yourself, just put it in your head. I mean, would you? I, some of you may not be Christians, and I already said you're preventing yourself perhaps by greed from not having a life that is actually satisfying, and maybe part of the reason you're doing that is because you look around at Christians and you go, well, you don't, you're wearing the same colors as me, man. We look exactly the same to me, but, but if you're a Christian, just ask yourself this question. Would you spend your money any differently if you didn't know Jesus? Would it be any different at all when you get to the end of the month and you look back at your bank statement, would it be any different at all if you didn't know Jesus, if your life wasn't wrapped up in Jesus? 
And if the answer is no, you need to make a change. And that Colossians 3, 12 through 14 begins to show us how, I mean, how can you offer compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience towards others through the way you spend your money? The Bible makes clear that the the religion that God wants is to take care of widows and orphans and foreigners. You ask yourself, are you doing that? It's pretty clear that you should be giving money to church. Ask yourself if you're doing that. If you're just coming and you're partaking and you're never giving any money to this church, you're not doing what God wants you to do. You need to ask yourself, this is why it's a big deal. This is why greed is a big deal. This is why saying, I'll I'll spend my money on my possessions and my stuff and the things that I get uh, over and above thinking about what God would want. And it's part of the reason that having a money sermon series feels weird because you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You can talk about my sexual immorality, man, but don't talk about my money because it's mine. It's idolatry. And what Paul is telling us is that as Christians, the reason that greed is a big deal is because greed makes us look like non-Christians. It dresses us up just like everybody else in the world who doesn't know Jesus. But if we want to be Christians and live like Christians, I should say, then we got to change our shirts, we got to change our clothes, and we got to say, God, how do you want me to spend the money? What do you want me to do with this? actually uh, spent two months, and I'll end with this because I think it's a really cool idea and something I used to do myself, but I spent two, two months as a summer missionary in southeast Idaho, and you might think, are there people in southeast Idaho? Are you ministering to the deer? Um, uh, but actually, southeast Idaho is uh, a higher percentage of LDS people, Mormon people, than, uh, than Utah, um, about 70, 80, 90%, somewhere in that range, that 20% range right there. And so it's really hard for, for any type of Christian ministry to exist in where I was in the small towns. Uh, Pocatello, if you know Pocatello, uh, is actually a fairly good-sized city. It's, it's Idaho's second-largest city, which doesn't make it very big. But um, uh, there, was, there, there was no Starbucks because the LDS influence is so strong against coffee that Starbucks had no presence there. Uh, it's, I mean, it's like Wilsonville not having a Starbucks instead of four. Um, and... And so uh, I went down to work with a pastor named Ken, and uh, Ken, what he did is he went out to these two areas for church, and he pastored these super little congregations, and it was uh, missionary-based. He raised support. It was through AMF, American Missionary Fellowship, and I went down there to help with him, and uh, it was a huge growing experience for me, and one of the things Ken did every single morning is he would read through Colossians 3, 1 through 14, And he would, in his mind, take off the clothing of the old man. He would say, I'm going to put off greed. I'm going to put off anger. I'm going to put off rage. I'm going to put off malice. I'm going to put off uh, the other things. I'm going to put off slander. I'm not going to lie. And I'm going to put on these new things. I'm going to clothe myself with kindness and compassion and humility. And I want to end this series by saying this. I think every morning you need to wake up. You say, I'm going to put off greed today. Maybe you can include all those other things that are unbecoming of a child of the king, but I'm going to put off greed. I'm going to put off putting my possessions and, and the stuff that I want over God. I'm going to put it off, and instead I'm going to make a decision to say, God, how should I spend my money today? What do you want me to do with the money that I have? And I, I don't care if it's $5 that you have 
or if it's $500,000, I think you need to make this decision. We're actually going to give you on the way out, I will hand you um, our sermon giveaway, something we do every every week. This is the best one ever. I probably say that every sermon series, but I really like this. Angela did a really good job on these ones. And it's going to be a credit card that you can put in your wallet that will remind you of this sermon series. And so when you pull out your your wallet and you grab your cash if you're over the age of 40 or your debit card if you're under the age of 40, uh, you can look at this and you can say, is this how God wants me to spend my money? Is this something that makes me look like a Denver fan or is this something that makes me look like I'm on God's team, uh, like a Portland Trailblazer? Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for this sermon series, God, and uh, for leading me to it. It's been really good for me, you know. Um, and God, I want it to make a difference. And I pray that, that here right now in this moment, uh, as we kind of move into communion, God, as we pray to you right now, I, I would ask that the weight of greed would be felt strongly by us. And God, we've talked about some good things in this series, and I think that it will be hard for us to practice these things, and it will be hard for us to make a change in how we spend our money if we are not reminded and, and maybe constantly reminded, Lord, of, of the weight of not thinking about you and our finances. I pray, God, that if for every person here, right now in this moment, they would understand, and maybe not because they need to make a change, maybe because they're already doing it well, but they would understand just how bad it is for us to place our possessions above our God. God, I ask that for any person here that doesn't know you as their Savior, I pray, God, that they would come to know you as their Savior. And specifically this morning, God, I pray that they would come to know you as their Savior in a way that, that, that and, and they would know as they do that, God, that it's the only thing that can bring satisfaction. I pray that you would break down this barrier of more stuff and more things and more money and, and just having better stuff. I pray you'd break down that barrier in their life and you would bring them to you. For those of us who are Christians, God, we want to we want to live for you. And for a lot of us, our finances are probably standing in the way. And I pray that you would break every chain in our lives, even the chain that is, as they say, God, heretically, the almighty dollar. Help us to remember that you, God, are almighty and that no thing, no thing can bring us satisfaction, joy, hope, peace, grace, mercy. Let us never worship the created over you, God, our creator. I ask these things in your name. Amen.